Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the entrepreneurs, business executives, and community leaders sparking the rise of the greater Bentonville area, which represents one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities and economies in the United States and is nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James Bell, and it is my pleasure today to introduce you to Zach Springer and Alicia Contreras Springer. Uh, they're the co-founders of Nargo Bike Company, which they founded here in Bentonville in 2022 with the purpose of transforming classic bike frames into advanced electric cargo bikes. Zach, Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. It's an honor to be here. Well, glad to have you. Let's start off with the the really easy question. Um, and you two can pick which one goes first, but uh, what would you like the Bentonville Beacon audience to know about you? I'll start ladies first. Well, I'm Alicia and I am a Minnesota girl. That's where I'm originally from. So I grew up in the suburbs outside of Minneapolis and spent a lot of time in the Twin Cities. I have always been really active. I was an athlete all through high school, played hockey, Minnesota, and soccer. And I was a runner and still am a runner. Um, I kind of transitioned from sport brain to artist brain. Zach and I actually met in art school in Kansas City. Nice. So I am technically trained in all things textile. So sewing, knitting, felting, surface design, you name it. Uh, went back to school for my master's in early childhood education. So a little bit of a change in knowledge and technical skills, but focused on alternative pedagogy and kind of the art studio is the center of learning. So Art came back and spent a lot of time in the front lines of infant, toddler, pre-K, up to training adults and coaching teachers. So I'm really passionate about education, too. I'm a mom. Zach and I both have, well, we, we have together <laughs> a son and a daughter. So they're six and a half and eight. Let's go to elementary school in Bentonville here. And what else? I... One of my favorite things to do with our kids is to dance, just oh, nice. impromptu in the living room. And our daughter and I are big time T-Swift fans, so we do a lot of singing <laughs> together too. Gotcha. <laughs> That's right. Very cool. Well, I, I got to tell you, I've had a few academics on this show and, I, and nobody t until today has said pedagogy. Pedagogy. I never can pronounce it pedagogy. right. Pedagogy. <laughs> pedagogy. You know, I've taught before too, and I still can't pronounce the darn word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Zach, what about you? Yeah. Uh, so started up in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, uh, lived there until I was about five. Came down to Bentonville a few times. Um, and then ever since, been pretty nomadic. So went from Kansas City to Texas to back to Kansas City, Portland, Minneapolis, Kansas City. Kansas City like three, four times. Mm -hmm. uh, but never lived anywhere longer than six years. And hoping that Bentonville changes that. 
Um, we love, we love Bentonville. We, uh, we moved to Bentonville about four years ago, um, with our two kiddos because, uh, we were living in Minneapolis and absolutely wanted to be outside and our kids want to be outside, but the weather wouldn't permit it. And so our, uh, Gus, our oldest was amazing at riding a bike. He kind of learned how to walk riding a bike on like a strider. And, uh, and we came down here for a vacation and I kind of remembered it from when I was a young guy and just loved it. And we fell, we fell in love with it. We ended up getting caught in a snowstorm, uh, and deciding that ironic. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. I, I started writing my resignation letter on that trip and started applying for jobs. And next thing you know, we're moving to Bentonville like three or four months later. It was fast. Yeah. So yeah. I sped fat, uh, forward all uh, all of my early adolescence there, but um, I mean, early on in life, uh, growing up in Springfield, uh, this part of the neck of the woods of the United States, just like getting off the airplane when we came back, it reminded me so much of home, the smell of the air, mm-hmm. um, a lot of different characteristics of this area just felt like home, um, but Throughout my career and early life, I moved all around and um, I really found community through building things. And like my dad always built houses and my mom bought me instead of getting me a haircut, she got me clippers. And I started cutting my hair on. I was like, you know, all these like things. I was just always making things. And um, a bike in my family was going to Walmart and getting a bike. And I wanted a bike I could ride to school reliably. So I ended up buying bikes at garage sales and fixing them. And that's just something I've always um, really enjoyed doing um, is fixing things and bringing them back to life. My mom had an antique booth uh, growing up. So I would get old lighters, like old Zippos, fix them up and make a side hustle at a young age. So um, that's just, kind of who I am. And as an art school, we've met each other and kind of found our purpose in collaborating. And um, at the time I was making a a canoe to flow down the Mississippi River. That was my aspirations. I was going to float from Minnesota to New Orleans. Nice. And she helped me make the software, uh, the soft goods of it. uh, Sleeping bag, tent. Yep. And the exhibit was much more beautiful than the than the actual experience because the experience never happened. I took a road trip to like pregame it and I talked myself out of that. Really Probably a easily. pretty good move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I, I really thought you were going to say that uh, that she brought you to your senses. I love that you're all in <laughs> like, no, no, I'm going to help you with the soft goods. <laughs> yeah. Maybe well, you'll make it. Person. Maybe not. <laughs> it was a single person to a single person sleeping bag. So I think she was yeah, like, I'm like, well, I don't need her. to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Smart. <laughs> well, that's really cool. It's funny. You got caught here in a, a snowstorm and by snowstorm, you mean it snowed two inches and it was... 30 degrees, not minus 25. It, was, it didn't even snow is the oh, really funny thing. That's hilarious. We were trapped. The interstate was closed due to a ground blizzard, which if you've never heard of this, there's no precipitation. Clear skies. It's the blowing and drifting of the snow oh. that causes the whiteout conditions. Yep. And that was actually the first ground blizzard I'd experienced, but we were stuck in Ames, Iowa for three days. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. Um, well, I've spent a little time in that part of the country. I lived in Chicago for a little bit. 
Uh, and my uh, sales territory that I had for a medical device company at the time was, um, let's see, the uh, northwest corner of Indiana, uh, the northern, say, third of, of Illinois. I had the Quad Cities in Iowa and the southern part and the eastern part of of Wisconsin and the UP. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, winter. I, I, yeah, I discovered winter. I discovered, well, here's what I really discovered, especially in Chicago, was that there's two seasons, winter and construction season. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have to suffer from that here. Um, okay. Well, uh, Zach, what did Alicia not Tell us. Oh yeah, that, brag on her. Yeah, what, what did she not tell us? That I didn't hear know? anything about her uh, other business that she owns and has oh, yeah. grown um, very well in my eyes uh, on Etsy throughout COVID. Um, yeah, so she, Alicia, do you mind just talking about Reggie Baby for a second? <laughs> right, I meant to segue into that after talking about textiles. So it's a handmade sensory toy company yeah. called Reggio Baby, which I've heard of. You have, yes, fantastic. Well, I've definitely been able to grow in Bentonville. Got the time and the energy and amazing partners. I mean, we'll talk more about support for entrepreneurs in Northwest Arkansas. I'm sure in a little bit, but. The Amazium has been an amazing partner and collaborator in holding my products in their museum store and having me do workshops there. There's also a couple other little boutique shops across the Midwest, really, that carry some of my products, too. But yeah, I've been making those since 2017, really right around when our kids were born was when I was prototyping them in the classroom. So an exciting little projects that is still going and thriving and we're kind of on the next plateau of expansion and growth too so i'm glad you brought that it's funny how i like compartmentalize nargo and reggio baby but really they're like two children that i loved equally (laughs) of of course right well okay let's go the other direction what does zach not tell us is there anything we should know about him that that he didn't share i feel like he's so humble about what he does and oh yeah, I make things, but really like he's an expert trained design in design thinking, like brought on by IDEO, like an amazing problem solver, total jack of all trades. Like he does not give himself enough credit of the skills that he has. Like we would survive the apocalypse for sure. Cause like he can do anything. He can make it. (laughs) Very nice. Well, I'm a huge fan of design thinking, so good for you. Um, Let's talk about Nargo, Nargo Bike Company. Um, will you expand on what Nargo does and what makes your company and its products so unique? So Nargo, what was our tagline? We reimagine your everyday journeys through reinventing classic steel frames. So we're taking an old, old, mm-hmm. that's why we've used the word classic because old hat comes with its own Rusty. Rustiness. Yeah. Bad (laughs) connotation. Yeah. So we're we're actually recycling old frames through partners like Pedal It Forward, 816 Bike Collective. We'll talk about them in a little bit, I'm sure. But we're taking frames that would otherwise be landfill bound without use and welding them into a cargo bike frame, adding on a whole new, all the new components, welding on electric stopping power so we have like the e-kit put on there what i was saying with welding on the 
break tabs. That's the word. You can tell I'm not as much involved in the fabrication, but we're basically recycling old bikes into really amazing modern e-cargo bikes and sourcing locally, which is really incredible and kind of starting local as well with our customers, but looking to expand regionally and across the country too. Oh, that's so cool. You mentioned the collaboration with 816 uh, Bike Collective and Pedal It Forward too, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, will you share how that came about and how that's going? Sure. So 816 takes us back to about 2006, 2007. We were, this was in the Interdisciplinary Arts Department at the Kansas City Art Institute. The two main founders of that nonprofit in Kansas City were in the same department as us. And we were kind of there as collabor collaborators, advisors, and we helped with the fundraising so they could get their building in Kansas City. They're still there operating and thriving, really pretty much strictly on volunteers. They have a kind of different model than Pedal It Forward in that more people come in from the community looking to get a bike, but they're also kind of exchanging man hours, learning how to strip down a bike, rebuild a bike to be able to walk away with a bike. So they're learning, cool. there's an educational yeah. component there where they're learning about bikes and how to maintain them, but then they're also getting a bike in the time that they put in. And knowing how to maintain them mm -hmm. throughout the lifetime time. of them, which is really a cool like empowerment piece of the 816 Bike Collective. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I think, a model that's really familiar throughout community bike shops across the United States. There's 240 community bike shops across oh. the United States. Pellet Ford and 816 are two of the 240. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Pedal It Forward's model is different. I mean, they they do wholesale. I think having, mm -hmm. um, a, they have a great partnership with Walmart. They get a lot of like the distribution center um, channel damages and uh, they're able to repair those super quickly and get them out to the community. And um, they do it in bulk, which mm -hmm. is just amazing. They're moving thousands of units where 816 uh, might move 8,000 units. And so it's just, it's different ways to, um, to run a community bike shop. But the, what, the, what it's taught us, I think, is that within each of these community bike shops is access to a really deep part of each of these uh, areas in the United States, where it's not the people that you might find at like your normal bike shop, mm -hmm. but it's the people that are truly the advocates of cycling. And if we can have those people as the Nargo advocates throughout the United States, it fosters this grassroots mentality that we've started here across the United States. And it's happening in Kansas City, which is really inspirational. And I think Minneapolis might be next or Little Rock, but growing out to those more community bike shops is the scaling path for Nargo. And it's really exciting. <laughs> Man, that that's neat. Uh, you know, I every time I think about Pedal It Forward, I think I should go over there and help. You should put some bikes together. First of all, just selfishly, so I can learn how to work on my own bike. Absolutely, yeah, it would be a really good experience. Uh, I mean, that's neat. You get to basically learn how to work on your bike and give back at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a that's win -win. not terrible. It's a win. Yeah. Um, so Narco's a family business. So I have to ask, uh, how does being a family business work for you? 
And has it in any way shaped or changed the uh, the culture and value of your your family? Big time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I laugh because we were joking about, well, let's just look at the actual footprint of our house right now uh-huh. because we're still manufacturing out of the home and there's a lot of bikes in our house. There are cargo bikes bike parts. too. Cargo yeah. bikes are big. Is they're about one and a half times bigger than a normal bike. Mm-hmm. And wow. our house is the normal size house. So it's <laughs> it's a lot of shimmying around and making sure that the one bike is still in the same place it is when the lights go out and. <laughs> but it's, around. I think that it's good that it keeps us constantly working on them, and customers are getting their bikes within six weeks right now. Right. So it's not like it's like constantly turning, which is cool too. We have movable furniture. We I do. think that's nice. Yeah. You know? Well, but, I think so. Something that like is actually really valuable out of this is when it really became a business. I think a major shift in just the family and production and all of that was one, we now have customers that we're serving. And two, we have employees that we have hired. That's and cool. our kids are still, I mean, it's their house. So they're having these amazing interactions with people fabricating bikes. I mean, Gus the other week was out in the garage with Cooper, just taking apart cranks and shining them up and cleaning them up and coming up with like, well, what could I make this with? Because these were parts that we wouldn't be using in our Mm -hmm. bikes. So he's getting to be really creative. And I think that's something we fostered since they were babies is like, well, what can we make instead of what can we buy? Like, how can we fix it? How can we build it ourselves? Like that's something that has definitely carried on and they, they totally get that. But now there's a, there's more people that can share that with them. There's more education. It's really cool. <laughs> what a neat experience. Like every child should be exposed in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Should have those experiences. I'm jealous. I wish I had that experience as a child. I, I'll tell you what experience I did have, a little different from bikes being everywhere. So my dad had a landscape and lawn care business. And uh, he and I lived in an apartment for a while. And uh, when you're living in an apartment and you've got and you're doing lawn care, you can't leave all the stuff out in the truck. So the lawnmowers would come inside. Oh. If anybody thinks sometimes it seems like I don't have a couple of brain cells, I'm just telling you, inhaling <laughs> gasoline on a regular basis is probably bad for you. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, yeah. So I would much rather be tripping over uh, uh, bikes than, than lawnmowers. Sorry, Dad, if you're out there listening. <laughs> yeah, all right. He doesn't listen to podcasts. I'm good. Um, <laughs> this will be the one. <laughs> We really haven't talked about GORP yet. Uh, You know, that's the Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program through the University of Arkansas, but the program is here in Bentonville. Um, Of course, you were part of GORP's fall 2022 cohort. Is that right? Will you share with the audience, I guess, from your perspective, what GORP is and how the accelerator helped shape Nargo and push you forward? Sure. You should take this one. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, the greenhouse, uh, greenhouse outdoor recreation program, um, is an accelerator put on by the university of Arkansas and they, we heard about them because we're friends with, uh, Taylor at Merman cycles and, uh, he introduced us to Phil. And at the time we were just making bikes in our garage because we wanted cargo bikes and couldn't afford the really high-end cargo bikes that we wanted. So we just built our own high-end cargo bikes that we could afford. And we were 
I was working at Pedal It Forward as a volunteer and there was a ton of bikes that were being, that were beautiful, like these beautiful Trex giants, they were in a scrap pile. <laughs> and uh, I, I bought them from them and brought them home and we started prototyping them. And uh, Taylor saw some of the bikes we were building and he ended up buying our first two bikes before we were ever even a business. And, oh, neat. Yeah. And he introduced us to Phil. And Phil thought that what we were doing deserved to be an LLC and uh, deserved to get a little bit of funding and guidance, mentorship. And he was right. Um, it was a wonderful experience that introduced us to an entire community of the ecosystem that I've learned. Uh, that's the proper name. The <laughs> ecosystem <laughs> of Bentonville is uh, a, it's so welcoming. And it's looking for crazy people with crazy ideas mm -hmm. that want to bring them to life. And um, it's funny because outside of this community is a group of people with crazy ideas. And I keep like, just go talk to Phil. Like Phil can help you take this idea forward. Um, so it's really been a great experience bridging that gap. Um, and, but from a Nargo perspective, having, um, been trained in design thinking, I totally understand the importance of the voice of the customer and uh, not only listening, but observing customers or your future target audience. And um, one of the things that we had not thought about at all with our designs was uh, small footprint living situations with mm. uh, like college students. And we had a mentor or I'm sorry, uh, not a mentor, an intern. An intern um, an intern uh, that helped us do a lot of the user research on campus. We were doing research with families up in Bentonville and she was doing it on campus in Fayetteville oh, with students. And we got a really good glimpse at what those potential customers would want out of a bike. And Gus um, also needed the same thing. Our seven-year-old wanted a cargo bike and he wanted this very small footprint bike and uh, we ended up letting him prototype it. And he prototyped it. He collaborated with one of our fabricators to bring it to life. And then we iterated upon it to make the schoolie. And the schoolie, it took us about six months of development to get it to where it's at now, which is now it's our top selling bike and it hasn't even been publicly released yet. It's just because they're showing up at bike shops, uh, the mechanics are riding them mm -hmm. and then more people want them. It's, it's become like a FUBU effect. It's really interesting. Like FUBU, the originator of FUBU mm -hmm. had like four t-shirts he could buy. So he couldn't give them to LL Cool J, but he could give it to his, um, the big bouncers, bouncers <laughs> around him, like the biggest billboards around LL Cool J. And so I just really like that um, idea of mechanics riding our bikes and then customers seeing the mechanics ride the bikes and then wanting to be on that bike because the mechanic is on it. And so <clears throat> I think Gorp really helped us create a lot of trust within the cycling community to see that we're just out there being really curious. And, um, and that was all just from them pushing customer discovery, customer discovery, do your interviews. We had like 10 interviews we had to do awesome. a week. Yeah. Probably not that many, but it was a pretty big number and it was a lot to get in just to feel out what people wanted, what problems they were having. Talking to bike of... shop owners, Scott and Janine at Buddy Pegs, mm -hmm. they were awesome to interview. 
um, yeah, talking with people was the biggest thing. And then the funding, I'll have to say the funding was incredible funding because was helpful. <laughs> we were able to secure enough inventory of, uh, 10 components or 10 bikes were the components. And, um, you know, the old saying, it takes money to make money. These bikes take money to make money because to build these bikes is expensive. Mm-hmm. And it allowed us the capital, um, to buy that inventory, which was critical at that stage. And we sold those bikes. We made money in the process. We repaid our debt to ourselves uh, with the GORP. And now we were able to just like kind of take that money and snowball it into what we're at now, which is inventory for 50. And oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we agreed in that experience too. It felt like we were back in kind of the art school studio setting too, because we had this amazing cohort, cohort of other companies who were going through the same stuff that we were, very different projects. And, but just to have other brains and other, I don't oh, know, yeah. like intelligences to bounce ideas off of and like just yeah. the networking element too was really amazing. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to beat that. Uh, it, in my opinion, for most accelerators, that's the thing right there, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, having the cohort around you, you're having these shared experiences, you're bouncing. If it's done right, you're bouncing ideas off of mm-hmm. uh, each other and then getting out and talking to people, right? As Steve Blank would say, the answers are out there. They're never where you are. They're out there, no matter how much you know about, about your product and the, the problem as you see it. But I got to tell you, congratulations, because the best validation is revenue. Most people's validation is, or they think they have validation when they do customer discovery, but you don't really have validation until you get revenue. Yeah. So really nice job. Well, thank you. Um, you know, we're really blessed to have the U of A and the GORP program here. and you know, Gorf's, I guess it's really unique in a, in a town where there's 10 different accelerators. Uh, it's really unique in that it's focused on the uh, outdoor industry. But will you talk about those, some of the other organizations and folks that have uh, helped you out along the way? Yeah. So we were fortunate to jump from one incubator right into the next one. So we okay. went into builders and backers oh, yeah. brought on by Heartland Forward and a bunch of other funders. But we were in the spring cohort for builders and backers, which was a pretty different format from what Gorp was. And we're not the only we're not unique in being a Gorp graduate that went into it either. There's a couple other companies out there that have done both. And I think I think we're all like in agreement that doing Gorp and Builders and Backers was a really good order because Gorp made us really get focused, get the business plan out, do the customer discovery. And then Builders and Backers was is kind of built around doing an experiment. You wanted to test. So oh, we had neat. like the broad picture from GORP and then we could narrow in with Builders and Backers. And our experiment was really to focus on becoming locally famous, but pairing that with hitting a global uh, customer base, global reach with social media. So... We kind of did a social media campaign, but that's when we also built up our uh, monthly family cargo bike rides. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that every third Saturday and have had amazing turnout in every place. Like we're trying to jump around different spots in Northwest Arkansas. So really amazing turnout. Bentville, Rogers, Springdale. Yeah. All the spots. The, the experiment for Heartland Forward. Um, so they also will give you some 
uh, non-dilutive funding. And, and with the experiment, I, I really like having, we, we came to GORP with a product. Uh, we helped, GORP helped us refine that product. But then I think Heartland Forward gave us an opportunity to experiment with the brand in a way that we weren't doing before with the social media uh, marketing. And we converted at that week, we converted seven sales in seven days. And then oh, wow. we had to actually shut it down. Like, well, we can't take any more <laughs> orders right now. <laughs> um, we do got it. We got to catch up. And um, that that experiment taught me that when we hit the on button with marketing, we can create some momentum that drives the sales. And it just, it taught us that I, we've got something here. There's something yeah. going on here. So it's pretty, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. other companies have we, we need to shout oh, out? Oh my goodness. The, the Amazium was really like, a, a, oh, they've yeah. helped me in Reggio Baby, but we did a <laughs> tall bike experience at their Ungala oh, this year. That was just we built fun tall for bikes everybody. Too, so not every donor uh, bike is worthy of the commitment it takes to make a cargo bike. <laughs> um, uh, some of them will be too rusty or have a dent in them or something. And we uh, we take those and we make them into tall bikes. Neat. So tall bikes is where you... The most traditional tall bike is you stack two bikes on top of each other, weld them together, and then you're riding up high. Mm-hmm. And um, and we take an opportunity to make it really creative in some situations. Um, but the Amazium wanted us to come give donors at the Ungala um, a guided ride on these. And it was incredible. We had, what, we have- 57 folks come through? And yeah. then some people who haven't been on a bike in years yeah. and just like their willingness to like, okay, <laughs> let's try it. On tall bikes. Yeah. And then the, we, um, we're, we're a little rowdy. Okay. So we, we've been known to bring the party. People like that Nargo brings the party. And, um, and so we had about eight of the Nargo crew out there and they were like, we're just going to ride through the Amazium. And so next thing you know, we're all riding through the Amazium on tall bikes and <laughs> Sam comes out a few minutes later and I thought he was going to rip us. And he's like, man, you were doing such a good job of finding where my comfort zone is. <laughs> and I was like, you were the most professional sounding person. And we went and did it again. We found, of course. Uh, yeah. Did you get him on the tall bike? Well, no, he didn't get up, but oh, he did Sam put Dean, the video. Man, next <laughs> mm-hmm. time you're getting on the tall bike. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It was great. That's great. Well, you know, the outdoor industry is just burgeoning in Bentonville. And I was making myself a couple of notes and thinking about, as I was thinking about it, it's not just recreation, it's outdoor recreation, but legitimately as an industry, right? It's a place where numerous outdoor companies are coming. They're establishing offices and headquarters and manufacturing. And I guess my question is, why is this, from your perspective, why is this happening so quickly? And I'll add to it, what is it about Bentonville that makes it so that established companies like Specialized and YT Bikes can come here and access their customers, but then companies like Altangle and Nargo can commercialize their products? What's happening that's so special that's making that spark? Yeah, that's, I I love this question. Um, I think that I think about uh, disruption within industries a lot. And I think direct to consumer 
really was a disruption within the cycling industry. And YT, I love that you brought up YT. YT was a pioneer within that space. And um, direct-to-consumer, I think, made traditional brands like Specialized kind of rethink their sales model mm-hmm. and also rethink their relationship with their customers. Direct-to-consumer showed that you can sell a bike without needing to be in a dealership, which showed that you can build trust through digital content. But then I think the next evolution of direct-to-consumer, the post-pandemic evolution, is experience. And I think that whenever you are building a brand that you need customers to trust, like a YT and Specialized are selling electric bikes, and we hear about um, bad things with electric bikes all the time, so we definitely need our customers to trust us. The best way to do that is to look not at like the Aspens of the world, but look at the most affordable vacation place within our within the United States that has mountain biking happening on free trails and create an experience center. And what's going to happen is the trust with all those customers is going to skyrocket. I think it's an excellent move on on both of those brands parts to be moving here. And I expect more to be doing the same. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned one, uh, another one earlier that even preceded them. You talked about your uh, son's, your son, right? The Strider Strider bike, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got one storefront in the world. (laughs) They're either in, forgive me, Strider, either in South Dakota or North Dakota. I think they're in South Dakota, but their storefront is in Bentonville, on the Bentonville Square. And we're going to keep seeing just more and and more of this. Um, What advice do you have to business leaders who haven't been here to check out Bentonville yet, especially in the outdoor industry, um, uh, without saying to them, what's wrong with you? Uh, (laughs) What advice do you have them about how they should think about this place and what they should do next? uh, I think the first thing to think about when coming to Bentonville is to be humble and kind. Mm, Um, I really, I always listen first. And I think with a place like Bentonville, where you have so many passionate people, both um, with their careers, but then also with their hobbies, you, as a as a business leader, it's really important to hear from those customers before we go in with any kind of ego or something like that. And so to come here and to really find those community events and participate and but listen, you know, like go in and listen and hear what the community is looking for and then start to build something. And another thing I'll have to say is that um, with Walmart being here and there's communities being built here every day. Mm -hmm. And if there's not a community that you like here today, build your own community and you'll have a group of people within a month that you can call your own community. And um, I just think that that is one of the, whenever we first came here as a family four and a half years ago, the word attainable is what we left here thinking. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it is highly attainable when you start with listening. Mm. That is, that is, uh, that's solid advice, no matter <laughs> where you are. Yeah. But in particular here, and you're right, if, if your tribe isn't here, you can get them here. First of all, just get them on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, true. they'll just come, right? Um, and, you know, this. I, I think this is true because uh, 
Bentonville is a place where work and play can be the same thing. They're so intertwined, uh, and that makes that uh, really easy. Um, you can build a bike company here, right? You, it's perfectly natural, normal, and arguably expected to have meetings on trails. Yes. That happens. That's legit. Oh, it does. Uh, you can hang out in a world-class art museum. Um, there's so many other places you can just go and think and, and relax. And if you know where to go, you can even hang out at a waterfall right in the middle of town. It's hidden right in the middle of town, <laughs> right? And uh, so I guess, how do you balance work and play in a place that offers both? Usually it's how do you find work-life balance, but then how do you work, balance work and play? Mm -hmm. I'll start with just a funny antidote. I think if you were to ask our friends, do we work too much? They'd say, absolutely. They are always working. If you were to ask our mentors from Gorb, do they play too much? They'd say, yeah, I think they play a little too much. <laughs> so to me, hearing, listening person, I think we found a pretty good balance. Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> I think we also, Zach and I as partners in crime and in business, we balance each other out too. So Zach is very good at being able to pull away and is much more playful and definitely will get me out of the house. Like, come on, we let's go ride. Let's go do this. Like, okay, okay, we can walk away from this. And I bring the focus in like when we need to, like, no, we, we really got to get this done. So we, we definitely balance each other out, but we are matched in drive in like whatever direction we're going. And then we have our two kids who are just there to inspire, like, hey, you guys need to do something with us. And we're like, yes, we do. Let's go. And like, we're, we're always up for a creative moment in time. Oh, that's cool. Is it, well, it's, it says a lot that your kids think that way too, right? It says a lot about, about you too. So that's cool. I, I, we've got a three-year-old boy at home um, and uh, he's, you know, he's, He's kind of wired the same way. Like he reminds us it's time to go do something. Mm -hmm. uh, and just love that. <laughs> um, Will, you can each tell me a story. You can tell one story. Take your pick. Uh, but will you tell me, uh, make it these stories or the story a hashtag because Bentonville story. And that's something that, that happened where you look at it later and you go, you know, that can only happen in Bentonville. Or maybe it describes the essence of the place. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll start because I know you've got a more like focused story. but. <laughs> I couldn't isolate a time in Bentonville experiences. It's more like an all around, I guess, experience of going through the town on a bike and having so many familiar faces and people to wave to and smile at and say, hey, how's it going? Like, I have never lived anywhere that has had that before. I've lived in a lot bigger metropolitan areas mm -hmm. where it just the density is hard to like know people everywhere you go. But I love that about Bentonville is just having this community that you like recognize everywhere you go. It doesn't matter if you're going to the grocery store or dropping kids off somewhere, but like people are out and engaged in their community. And I love that about Bentonville. And that, I mean, that that's so much of what makes it attainable too. Cause you just, you you are part of the community that you are building and you you are out in it. And I love that. You know, I love that because there, honestly, there's a lot of 60,000 person communities where you can still not see the people mm -hmm. that are that are your tribe or that where people aren't out and about because people are inside, but here everybody is out and they're doing things. Uh, my brother-in-law remarked on this. He's like, my God, he's like, everybody's 
out walking and yeah. riding their bikes and outdoors. What is going on in this place? Uh, and so, yeah, I think you're right. That's that's very much a Bentonville yeah. thing. Well, there's a lot of energy and programming and money going into, yeah. like, it's Ride to Work Wednesday today. Mm-hmm. Like, Excellent. Let's have another day that we can just show up in one spot and celebrate being together and being outside and being on a bike. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, I've not lived anywhere that has that kind of thing on a day-to-day basis. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you want to share? Yeah. this is good too. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to add to that last uh, piece about like when the kids are pulling us away, we'll end up going somewhere. I could leave my phone. We were joking about this, like leaving our phones behind because when we get to that place with the kids, guarantee you there's going to be somebody that we could talk about nar- cargo bikes or their mm-hmm there's just like constantly someone at these places that we know that want to know more about Nargo or that want some mentorship on their own aspirations. And I just think that that's, that's a because Bentonville moment so often for me, but the story that I think is, um, I had a couple stories, but depending on where this, when this releases, um, the one story that I'll share is, um, at bike fest. So Bike Fest, the weekend of Bike Fest, we live half a mile from where Bike Fest was. Nice. And we were the the pregame house before and parking. We people could park at our house and we had tall bikes. We have what we call a tall bike library. It's about 10 bikes deep of tall bikes. And people would just take our tall bikes into the into the festival and then they would ride them through the festival. Next thing you know, we're getting invited to the after party. <laughs> And so that night we were scrambled. We got some uh, childcare and uh, that night we showed up to the after party and I wasn't on the dance floor. Alicia was, and I'm watching from a balcony and a few guys come out. We start talking. And the next thing you know, they're pulling up another guy from the balcony below, just like a couple guys would. And we start talking about our week uh, leading up to this. And these guys were just coming from France. And the guy that had just been pulled up was someone that did this BMX move. And these were the two announcers that were announcing it. And I thought this BMX move earlier in the week, I saw it. I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And now I'm talking to the guy on the back porch of someone's house. It was the craziest thing ever. And it was, uh, but it was one of those experiences where I always heard like, he, he puts on his pants the same way you do, you know? Yeah. And I just loved it. I thought it was a really wonderful experience and uh, I wanted to share it for this for sure. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great story. <laughs> well, uh, as we start wrapping up this last section called the third chapter of the, the podcast, uh, this last section is randoms and device questions. Uh, uh, but the first one is, if somebody wants to invest in a Nargo bike or, or reach you to or learn more about Nargo, how do they do that? I think... I can address the camera on this one. Check out our Instagram account. That's probably where we're most active in terms of posting, fun videos. There's customer videos and lots of sharing there at Nargo Bike Co. We also have a TikTok at the same account. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, kind of all the social media, we're on it. Mm-hmm. And then we are in the process of doing complete overhaul of our website, but that's nargobikeco.com. Yeah, keep an eye out for the launch of the new website for sure. It's going to be happening probably around December. 
and we're gonna have a build your bike feature. So mm-hmm. um, really it's customization. Really cool. It's gonna be a really great experience, and hopefully we can bring the customers along the fabrication um, mm-hmm. experience as well. So really excited about that. Very cool. Hey, um, let's go to a random. <laughs> if uh, if you could name your first Nargo prototype after oh, a movie, <laughs> what would the movie name be? I think we came down to, let's see, The Breakfast Club. And it kind of dates us as being the, I think the new term for us is a geriatric millennial. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Um, yeah. But that's kind of Well, you could be a we Gen Xer and it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> You know, generational wars. It's, it's what, what we can same. call each you're other. Basically, Gen X. Yeah, <laughs> which so, means you're cool. Yeah, awesome. Sure. All right, well, I'll take it. Okay, the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. Why the Breakfast Club? <sighs> this is something that is like an ethos of Nargo that is hard to nail down in description, but it's this essence of like punk rock, but also like inclusivity because we are all and we are none at this, like we are everything at the same time. And we all have our own stories, but come together and kind of relate at our like basic level. And I think that's kind of what Nargo is here to serve is we want to be accessible to everybody. We want to be visible. We want good representation on our bikes of all peoples. And I don't know, I think the breakfast club is kind of a, a washover version of that, but an easy one to name anyway. Well, that's a pretty solid one. Yeah. Having a group of, you would think from the outside, like much different personalities and they come together in a very youthful, energetic, curious way. And then they leave as friends still being youthful and chaotic. And I just think that, that that's what we started our first prototype with. And it wasn't because we were trying to solve a problem of, you know, high, high quality bikes at a great value, but we were just trying to solve something that we wanted in our own Mm -hmm. lives. How can we commit to just riding our bikes as much as we can? Yeah. Yeah. That was, we did it. That's cool. Well, let's stick with the bike theme. (laughs) If you were a bike part, what part of the bike would you be? While you take, yeah, this. <laughs> no, I, I, this is awesome. Um, so I'm gonna answer this honestly, but it's gonna sound like a shameless plug. So I apologize ahead it. of time, <laughs> but let's just imagine you're a uh, like an early 90s Trek mid to high quality bike, and uh, you're getting sold to an 18 year old going off to college. You get to take that kid through college into a career, maybe a bike commuter, maybe not. The bike goes into storage, finds its way after a years or a decade to a community bike shop, and then it gets picked up by Nargo. And Nargo takes that frame. So in this story, I'm the bike frame. Okay, so the bike frame um, gets reimagined. It gets to serve a new family, hauling their most precious cargo. And, um, you know, it just that reinvention along the way. I want to be that bike frame. That bike frame, I think, is the luckiest bike frame around. <laughs> that is a cool answer. I love it. <laughs> that is that is so cool. Well, um, if you could lo- lo- load up the two of you, a couple of Nargos, and um, load it up with some gear to sustain yourself for a little bit and bike anywhere in the world, 
Where would that be? I got that. This has been a dream of mine for like years. And that would be a cargo bike tour of kind of the origin of cargo bikes. So Denmark, Sweden, the Netherlands, Germany, just where they have that bike infrastructure as really the basis of society. It almost seems like there's just so much energy around bikes and not cars and foot transportation and not cars. And to be able to see how they've done that and really experience the culture that is very bike centric. Love to love to do that on our bikes too. I'd love to be like, Oh, we got Nargo bikes and be able to share. That's neat. Um, Let's see for the sake of time, I'm trying to decide which one of these last two questions I'm going to ask you. Um, You're not going to ask the circularity question. Oh yeah! Man, Tell I was me about why that. that one. Yeah, let's let's He's hear about take that. This one. Talk about the circular supply chain because that is important. Why why is the circular su- uh, supply chain so important? Yeah, so I um, have spent a bit of time within retail, and circularity is something that we talk a lot about. With you know regeneration, circularity, these are big goals, mm-hmm. lofty goals, and. Um, Having spent some time around merchants at big retailer down the street, um, all of these conversations end up with a cost increase. Mm -hmm. And I was so tired of hearing that. And I think one of the most beautiful things about Bentonville is that you can lead by example here. And you can be a small little bike company, but have a pretty big voice. Yeah. And um, I at the time was volunteering at Pedal It Forward. And like I said, we were seeing these bike frames um, not getting used. And we decided that instead of building this brand on a sourcing model of importing just new frames that are getting, you're just adding to a conversation of a disposable culture. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that the prototypes that we built were like, well, we built those for super cheap. Why couldn't we build production for, you know, like put more quality into it. We could powder coat these frames. We could hire a TIG welder. We can do these things and we could offer a great savings to our customers with excellent components at a, just a shocking value. And um, why not do that? Like we are not this Titanic ship right now that can't, you know, turn left or right. Mm -hmm. We are not even swimming yet. So um, I think that with the circularity, the importance for us is that within circularity, you have um, a trust within the system. We're today within recycling. I don't think the trust is there. Uh, there's a huge demand for like post-consumer grade plastics to be put into packaging and products, but the input's not there because a lot of folks don't trust that their milk carton is actually getting recycled and what's the point. And maybe they don't wash the milk out of it and maybe it's not actually recyclable mm-hmm. when it gets there. And so there's this trust factor, there's an education piece, but there's at the core of it, I think it's a customer that doesn't see themselves within the supply chain. And I think when you can put yourself in the supply chain and you're also receiving savings at the same time, like I don't want to deposit back for a bottle can. I just want my soap pods to be cheaper. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I at the end of the day, I want all of my products to be helping me live a low cost of living. And I think circularity is the path. But right now the conversation is about how much money is it going to cost to move this Titanic ship to the left? And um, But being founders of a startup, we didn't have that problem. So we got to start it from the foundation. And I do think that starting with classic frames adds this like nostalgia piece for a lot of people. And it's a new service we're going to start offering where we can have people bring their bike frame in from when they were in college that they've never wanted to get rid of because they sure. love that bike. It's now we a can really bring tough new life thing. To it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And add a new life to it and let maybe their son take it to college as a cargo bike or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's all about building trust, reducing costs and adding sustainability to the like, supply chain itself. With 240 supply community bike shops supplying us with frames, there's a resilience there where you're not relying on a single overseas supplier to give you exactly what you want. And that communication, that language gap, all those things, it doesn't happen. It's just, I think it's a beautiful like way to start the company. And I'm really, really proud of that part of it. I love that. Uh, you know, that that's one of my favorite things about new companies is you're just not constrained. Yes. I, if folks see that as a constraint in and of itself, right? I don't have any resources. I don't have these. No, it, it means you actually get to think differently and try things that other folks cannot do. Yes. It's, it's a beautiful place to be in. But this is such a good message you ended with that that's such a good message. I think we'll We'll finish questions oh, there. Okay. okay. And um, hey, uh, Zach, Alicia, thank you all for spending time with me and the Bentonville Beacon audience today. Um, it's This has been a fascinating conversation. I got to tell you, um, when we moved here, I didn't own a bike and had not been on a bike in a long time. And of course, so I bought a mountain bike, naturally. And of course, my son said it's gotten a, a Strider bike. And I promised my wife I would only buy one bike. Um, but... Now I'm thinking about an electric cargo bike. Here we are. Um, So uh, we'll see where that goes. But uh, I feel like that needs to be part of uh, my, uh, well, if you have two, you have a collection, right? (laughs) Well, reach out to us for a test ride. Anybody out there, reach out to us for a test ride. We'd love to get you on one. Cool. Maybe I can get my wife on a bike. Heck yeah. I think I'm in full support of that. That would be cool. Well, thank you both so much for uh, joining me in the audience today. Thank you so much, James. Thanks for having us. Bet. So uh, thank you to the Bentonville Beacon audience. You know, without you, this show would not be possible or it actually wouldn't have a purpose. So will you take a moment to share Alicia and Zach and Nargo's story? Go ahead right now and and link it to your friends and colleagues uh, through social media, email, however you'd like. And of course, as always, Keep coming back to learn more about the entrepreneurs, business executives, and community leaders who are sparking the rise of Bentonville in Northwest Arkansas, this place where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. For all of our episodes, check them out at BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com or on your favorite podcast player, where, of course, you will hit that subscribe button. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week.